you can have a seat. Welcome to Creekside. We're excited for everyone to be here today. We have a lot planned, a lot uh, in store, but as we start, let's just bow our heads and open with a word of prayer, uh, and then I'm going to invite Steve to come on up and share from, with us from the word. Father, we are grateful and thankful for this time to gather together, and we celebrate and remember that Jesus came to earth. He came to earth as a baby and grew up as the perfect spotless lamb of God and took away the sins of the world. We just praise you and thank you for a time to gather together and we pray that you would bless our morning and that you would encourage us and remind us of your great love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I can see I'm not as quite as tall as Alan here microphone. I just want to welcome each of you here this morning. We're very grateful for your presence with us. Uh, what a joy it is for us to welcome you into Creekside Church. Um, this is a, a special service, and I wanted to let you know that on the bulletin, if you're here as a guest, first-time visitor, uh, we'd love to have a record of your attendance just to be able to say hi and communicate with you. If you'd be okay with that, if not, that's fine. On the bulletin, there's an additional uh, fold on the bulletin. If you can find a pen or something, uh, you could fill that out and put it in the offering uh, box, which is on the entryway. And as you come into the sanctuary, it's on a table in the entryway. We're just glad that you're here. I, I want to ask you to pray with me if you would, and then I've got a few things to share. Then you'll get to see all the special people who came to, to uh, serve us and worship with us this morning. Father, thank you for, uh, for this day. I thank you for this time of year. And Lord, I pray uh, that your spirit would work powerfully through this service, uh, that you, uh, our God and King, would be magnified and honored and exalted. We pray that you would be glorified in all that's said and done in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, birth announcements are really exciting. But there's only one birth announcement that we've been told would provide good news of great joy for all the people. And what was that? It says, Jesus, that good news was, as the gospel tells us, the gospel of Luke, it says, unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The question I want to try to answer this morning is just exactly how is it that a baby born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago is good news for all people? And in order to do that, we're going to look at Philippians. And there we're going to look at three keys that unlock the secret. Now, the passage was written to the church at Philippi to unlock and help them to understand what it means to be unified as a body of, of believers. And so this passage has three keys that unlock the secret to unity in the local church from the example of Jesus. But they also provide us an explanation of the good news of why it is. So those same three keys that unlock the secrets to unity provide us uh, uh, information as to why this birth in Bethlehem is good news for all people. And so Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11, uh, Paul says, have this attitude in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, 
were in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Therefore also God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so three keys in this, uh, in this section. First of all, in the cradle, we see God's power. And there are at least two ways that we see His power. First of all, God's person is revealed. In uh, chapter 2, verse 5, the end of the verse, it says, have this attitude in you. And then he says, who although, it, have this attitude in yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, Jesus existed in the form of God. So he has deity, which is divinity. He is God, all right? God's son. He had the form, not the, the nature of God, not the physical form of God, because we know in John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So Jesus had the form of God in the sense that he had the nature of God. Hebrews chapter 1. Verses, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, and, this is the radi- and he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. He's God. Jesus is God. And Paul calls us to adopt Jesus' attitude. It reveals the Son's deity. And the Son's deity is he was preexistent. He was with God. And he was self-existent as the Son. And then it testifies to the fact that He was coexistent with the Father. Philippians says, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He must be equal with the Father. Which is exactly what we read in John chapter 1, verse 1. And the Word became, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word, and Jesus is God. He's, he is God Himself. So, Jesus is God, but then Jesus, that's in his person, is he's fully God, but he's also fully man. You notice that Jesus' example of humility reveals his humanity because it says he emptied himself. What does that mean? Well, he was God. And to become a man, he had to empty himself. He, he, all of his, his rights and his privileges and his position as God were not things that he held on to. He didn't grasp it. He didn't hold on to it in becoming a human being. He didn't cling to them selfishly. Rather, rather he voluntarily poured himself out, taking on flesh, and he became poor. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says, Where you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for yourselves he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. Spiritually, not mon- monetarily spiritually rich. So he was rich, but he became poor. Uh, several years ago, there was this uh, TV show called Undercover Boss, and uh, it was a show about these big CEOs that would go undercover, and they would uh, go out and work with the people that were in their company. And I remember one particular thing was an airline, the president CEO of an airline company, and he went and he was cleaning the plane. He had to go. The, the person that was training him took him into the restroom in the plane and uh, showed him, okay, here's what you got to do in the restroom. So here you have the CEO of the company cleaning the restroom in the plane. He humbled himself 
And he was there divesting himself of all his authority, his position, his power to clean the restroom. And this is a, a very meager picture of what God did in becoming a man as a human being in Jesus. The creator God humbly took the form of created man. So there's three phrases in this text in Philippians chapter 2 that help us understand what this emptying is. He took the form of a bondservant. I like this poem by uh, this little statement by Holly Girth. She says, He came not to a throne, but to a manger. He lived not as a king, but as a servant. In Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, we, we see this, and this is the story of the, the, the birth of Jesus, that while well, the time came, came for him to get, her to give birth, and she gave birth to a son, okay, her firstborn, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger. Here's the king of kings, the lord of lords, the god of the universe, and he's laying in a manger, you know, in a, some, some cattle stall somewhere, so to speak, and he was, because there was no room for him in the inn. He didn't come to a throne, he came to a manger. He, he, was, he, he was there. And the divine son adopted the, the nature of a servant. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And he did that on the cross. Being made, the, te the text goes on, he says, he's being made in the likeness of men. New experience for Jesus, uh, you know, he, he had to experience what it was like to be a human being. God becoming a human being. Now that was a, that was a mind blower for him. Uh, Galatians 4 says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a woman. I uh, didn't know what that was like. So he became a human being and humiliated himself in becoming a human being. And then the last phrase, being found in appearance as a man. So you notice that? When you read the Bible, you need to be careful. He became in the appearance of a man. So he was fully divine. He was also fully human. He took on the form of humanity without divesting himself of any of his deity. He was fully God. The Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. The Word became humanity, flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Flesh, humanity, glory, deity. Jesus, one God, three persons. Jesus, two natures. Fully human, fully divine. It was a crazy thing. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says that, For in him all the fullness of, the de of deity dwells in bodily form. He's fully God. Fully man, he voluntarily limited the full exercise of all of his divine attributes without relinquishing any of them. That's a mind-blowing thing. And I can't explain it other than the, what, the, what the Scripture has to say about it. Uh, Mark Twain wrote a, a book called The Prince and the Pauper. And in The Prince and the Pauper, which was made into a movie, the, the prince actually comes down off the throne and the, the, the prince and the pauper exchange places. And the prince left the palace, but he still remained the prince. But he didn't act like a prince. He acted like a pauper, but he was still the prince. Jesus left his throne, became the pauper, but he was still the prince, he act, even though he acted like a pauper. The son didn't cease to be God, but he willingly subjected himself to the struggles of human existence, pain and hunger and temptation. Uh, 
and part of God's promise. And then the promise was fulfilled. So God's, God's person was revealed and God's promise was fulfilled. God told us hundreds of years before Jesus ever came that there was going to become this, uh, th- that he was going to send a, a redeemer, a, a savior, that his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. And Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. You shall call his name Jesus, for it is he will save his people from his sin. And his name is Emmanuel, God with us. And he would come from a kingly line. We saw that in the first service this morning uh, in 2 Samuel. Promised that upon your throne will sit one of your descendants forever, David was told by the prophet Nathan. To be a righteous savior. And not just a savior for Israel, but for all people. Um, some people will know the name Alex Jones. He's a kind of social media guy, and uh, he's either despised or loved. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't really matter how you feel about him. The fact is that he's made some pretty accurate predictions about what's going to happen in society the last few years. But he's just kind of getting it partly right, okay? What I want to say is that the improbability of a centuries-old prophecies being fulfilled, of one of them being fulfilled in the person of Jesus, is mind-blowing. But the fact is, with regard to Jesus, many, many, many of these prophecies were fulfilled in one person, Jesus, is only a testament to the power of God and proof that He is the Savior of the world. In the cradle, in the cradle, we see God's power. In the cross, we secure God's pardon. The reason Jesus came to be a babe in a manger was so that he would die on the cross. Sometimes we get caught up in the nostalgia of the manger and we forget the fact that he came to be a cross. The good news of the Messiah's presence in his birth is compounded by his purpose in death becoming a curse for us. Why? Why did he become a curse for us? To redeem us, Galatians 3 says, to redeem us from the curse of the law, to pay the price, to deliver us from the curse and the control of sin. All of us are dead in the water when it comes to our sin because we're messed up people rebelling against God. And you may not think that's true, but just ask one of your best friends and they'll tell you. In our attitudes and our actions, we're rebelling against God. And because of that sin, we deserve God's judgment. The wage of sin is death, the Bible tells us. The good news of the great joy that is that that Christ paid the debt. He didn't owe because we owe a debt we couldn't pay. We couldn't pay the debt that would fully satisfy God's wrath so that we could be acceptable to God. But Jesus did it on our behalf. Isaiah 53, verse 5, says he he was... Uh, He was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our iniquities. The the punishment for our well-being fell upon him by his wounds or stripes. Some uh, versions say we are healed. The wounds, by his wounds, our terminal depravity from which we all suffer was taken care of. I want you to look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, he himself, that's Christ, God, Uh, in the person of Christ, likewise also partook of the same, so that through death, that's the, 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 the purpose of it, the reason for it, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who are through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. We are slaves to sin. And it's only through what Jesus did on the cross that we can be freed from that slavery because he paid the debt that we owe to buy us out of the slave market of sin so that we can live for God. 
and free and be forgiven. The gift of pardon is offered because the price was paid to satisfy God's wrath against our sin. I'm going to read that again. The gift of pardon is offered because the price paid to satisfy God's wrath against our sin has been paid. The price has been paid once for all. Pardon is a gift, and the gift must be received. Several years ago, my wife and I uh, received this uh, notice in the mail. We entered our name in a drawing, and we had received a, a free date night. Uh, we got uh, tickets to a, a movie, and we got a, vouchers to go out to eat. You know, that was all a gift, but we had to show up. We had to actually take the gift and use the gift in order for it to be applied to us. The same is true with what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in the son is not judged, but he who does not believe in the son has been judged already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the judgment that God is, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. The question is, do you believe? It's only through belief. John goes on in that same passage in John chapter 3 in, in verse 36. You see, he who believes in the Son has life. But he who does not obey the Son does not, will face death and the wrath of God abides on him. So there's a choice. You either receive the Son and have life or you reject the Son and you are abide in the wrath of God abides you. That means wrath forever. And it's our desire, it's my prayer, it's our prayer that we would see on Christmas that in the, in the cradle, we, we see the, the person of Jesus. But in the cross, we see the purpose for his coming, which is to redeem us. And apart from that, there's no reason to celebrate Christmas. See, Christ, belief in Christ means life. Unbelief means death and wrath. In the crown, then, in the cradle, in the cross, and then finally in the crown, we're shown God's preeminence. Uh, see, Christ's great humiliation results in God's gracious salvation. And that means His glorious exaltation. The incarnation leads to our salvation, results in His glorification and exaltation. To the highest place with the highest name. The good news for all culminates with the Son crowned as the supreme and sovereign Lord at His second advent. And there are two results that of his exaltation that provide confirmation that his incarnation is the cause for celebration. What are they? It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Someday, even those who don't accept Jesus will bow before him and acknowledge that what he did was provide salvation for all. The question is, have you accepted it? And every tongue will confess. Now, that's not universal salvation. Not everybody's going to be saved, but everybody's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They're going to go, yeah, he is, and I'm sorry, but I'm out. Or I'm sorry, or I'm grateful that I'm in. The question is, as you leave today, are you in or are you out? And my prayer and our prayer is that you would see that, you see, we, we, we recognize his supremacy. It's either with grateful delight or gut-wrenching despair. Which will it be for you? Salvation from sin through faith in Jesus is the good news of great joy freely offered for all people. 
It's offered, but it must be received. It can be received by faith if you simply turn from your sin and trust and accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross as a payment for your sins. Then the good news for all applies to you. Thank you, Father, for this message. In Jesus' name, amen. The third candle of Advent symbolizes joy. As we continue to approach Christmas Day, our joy grows more and more. It takes us back to the joyful anticipation of the shepherds who journeyed to see Jesus in Bethlehem, even before the wise men. On this third Sunday of Advent, we light the candle and we re and rejoice like the shepherds. For this reason, it is called the shepherd's candle. Luke 2, 8 to 12, I'm sorry, 8 to 11. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And so the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things one usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away, and one denied that he even knew him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. And he was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled over his clothes, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together have not affected the life of man on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life.
every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill made low, the crooked straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. from 
Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. And the Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. The people that walked in the darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus, Jesus. 
Once upon a time, a young woman named Mary was engaged to a righteous man named Joseph, who had to go to Bethlehem to pay taxes. She was expecting a child whom the Holy Spirit had come in power to overshadow her and place the Holy Child in her. Joseph took Mary with him to Bethlehem, and while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in the manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Savior, suddenly I fell asleep during that time. I was having a beautiful dream that God and His Son, Jesus Christ, granted me a wonderful favor. I have always wanted to be there when Jesus Christ was born. December 25th is the date. That is when I began to understand, but not hesitate. I looked down and noticed that I was wearing robes that I have worn. I did believe I saw a little boy wearing a swaddle of clothes lying there. All of a sudden it dawned on me. I was witnessing the birth of Jesus Christ. That in my heart, I have a prayer. I'm itching forward with a baby lay in a little pile of hay. I'm starting to realize that I'm beginning to wake up from my beautiful dream. I'm remembering what happened to comprehend. I'm coming closer to finishing, finishing my poem. One thing comes to mind. I know that I'll be meeting my Savior face to face at the end.
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is the righteous savior. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd, and he shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with the young. He is a righteous savior, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and sh shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Come unto him, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and he shall give you rest. Take his yoke upon you, and learn of him, for he is meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Just promise. So 
Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, we read, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels to the extent that he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have fathered you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him.
Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and familiar with suffering, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For the punishment of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors.
Lift up your heads, ye gates, and lift up the everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is this King, this King of glory? Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle, he is the King of glory. Lift up your heads, ye gates, and lift up ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, the Lord of hosts, is the King of glory.
For unto which of the angels said he at any time, You are my son, this day have I begotten you. Let all the angels of God worship him. You are gone up on high, you have uh, led captivity captive, and received gifts for men, ye even for your enemies, that the Lord God might dwell among them. The Lord gave the word, great was the company of the preachers. How beautiful are the feet of them that, the pre that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Their sound is gone out in all lands and the ends of the world. 
Why do the heathens rage? And why do the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, 5 through 11.
Thanks so much for being here this morning. We are so glad to have you. Please stay standing if you're able and sing this song together with us. Short, who is not able to be here today, and uh, for putting this all together, and for everyone who participated. Thank you so much. Hope to see you next week. <laughs>